Good morning, everybody. Eddie Webb, we are here at the New Media Lab Mesa Community College. And today we have a very special guest. We have Mesa Community College President, Dr. Tammy Robinson, joining us today. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to spend a little time with you on this Friday. As everybody knows, we've had this podcast up for a few years now. And uh, just a reminder, we do have a committee of uh, scholars that submit questions. Here we go. Okay. In your time so far at MCC, what strengths do you see and what do you see as major challenges for our college? Well, again, good morning, Eddie. Uh, and uh, it's great to be here. It's great to be the, the president of Mesa Community College. Uh, this is my second month on the job. So, you know, I've had a bit of time to survey and I, and I like to take the time to actually talk to the people here uh, who work here. And what I find is that people love the college. They love the community. When I'm out in the community, people talk about their children taking classes here. They took classes here. And so that's a strength to me. Uh, it's not only I work here, but I love this college. I love what it does uh, for my family. I love what it has done in terms of legacy for my, for my family as well and how it's, it's helped advance the members uh, in my family. And I think that's great. And I, I see that we, uh, we have uh, donations and, and, you know, again, put your money where your mouth is. People give uh, at, the, at the highest rate of any other college in the Maricopa system. I learned that uh, when I was candidate Robinson, but I see that now as President Robinson. And so I think that is a wonderful strength and uh, because it's great to work at a place, but you have to show up. You have to show up for the athletes. You have to show up for events. You have to show up for the students. You have to show up for your fellow employees um, when they have uh, events. It, it matters so much. And uh, as a new president, I go because I need to see what's happening. I need to see what's going on. And uh, I, you can't make it up. You have to. It's, it's part of the journey. So I appreciate showing up. I appreciate being invited. And even if I can't come, I still want the invite on my calendar so I can try, at least try to get there. So I try to do as much as possible because I want to increase that level of connectedness that we need in order to move forward as a college. And in terms of major challenges, I think we all have challenges. We're all coming back out of the pandemic. Uh, we're coming back into a world uh, being face-to-face. -face, of where face-to-face is uh, sometimes a preferred method. And, and many students, what they want is not only face-to-face, -face, but they want flexibility. Many of our employees also want to be face-to-face, -face, but they also want the flexibility. So in terms of a major challenge, it is really important that we balance this. Uh, is that we that we balance and learn from what happened in the two years um, that we were uh, sheltered in place, that we our campuses were closed. What do we learn from that? And so let's not just kind of push it under the rug and move forward like it didn't happen. You know, it helped us to uh, do a lot of good. It helped us to reach our most vulnerable students when we should have been doing a lot of that work before the pandemic. Uh, it forced us to do the pandemic in order to keep going. So a major challenge in a nutshell is, you know, how do we create balance? How do we create uh, MCC as a great place to work, which is our strategic goal number three? That is a major challenge uh, because, I, I, you know, again, as people love the institution, we have been through something major. You know, in leadership, you have to figure out how to be uh, graceful and have humility and have and be humane in how we talk about what our college will look like, what flexibility means uh, for both our employees and our students. So it's a challenge uh, that is individual and kind of, you know, you want to do a broad stroke and say, oh, it's going to look like this. But again, it's still ever changing and we have to be okay with functioning now in a space where it's hard to be definitive in your answers. You have to be, continue to be flexible. So having to be flexible is a major challenge, but it's a challenge we're all, we all should be willing to face. I certainly am. Thank you. I, I think, you know, 
I don't know from the uh, employee response as much, but I, I would guess it's the same. But I do know. I've always had an open-door policy when I'm teaching, and I love it when a chair or a dean or a president walks, you know, walks by, steps in, says hello. The part that the that folks in those positions don't always get to see is the energy it brings to the class after you've left. I mean, students feel valued. They feel touched by you. I just think that's a really important dynamic, you know, in a college is to you know, Laddie Coor, everybody knows from ASU before Michael Crow, he was that guy. He would walk around campus, he'd shake your hand, he made you feel welcome personally. You know, when that person exits the room, the energy left behind is 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 amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, so we I know I really appreciate seeing you uh, around. Coming from uh, all your years of experience in education, what kind of cool programs and departments have you learned about here mm-hmm. at Mesa Community College? Well, you know, you know, I hate to, I hate that. I always like plug this area because I don't think they get enough love. You know, I learned a lot, a great deal about our allied health programs. Uh, I walked, I had a walk through the nursing program and what was interesting about that program was how uh, during the pandemic they continued to do clinicals. And so it's many layers in order to do, if you've ever done an allied health program ever, when they say that, if you ever created one, gone through the curriculum, gone through accreditation for one, it's really difficult to make changes to that system, you know. And so what was wonderful was to hear all of the flexibility they had in keeping those students moving forward, teaching them, making sure they got a, a pristine, uh, you know, very rigorous education even if they couldn't walk into the hospitals. So it was just exciting. Another area is the art department. I can't, you know, kind of give it accolades enough. I've seen about three or four exhibits in my two months. I saw some when I was candidate, Robinson, beautiful. I saw a high school exhibit uh, when the semester first started and the summer was in the summer. And I also, last week or so, uh, attended a faculty uh, exhibit. And uh, it was wonderful. And, uh, and again, what's funny is they saw me like taking my time to look at the pieces and they're like, you like art? I'm like, I do. I like art. Doesn't everybody like art? I mean, you know, it just got done. Doesn't everybody like art? Um, I don't like blank walls. And so um, I'm in the process now of going through the catalog to, to update and change the art in the president's office and the president's suite. Uh, I would really like to showcase as much student art as possible. In my opening piece, uh, my welcome speech, you know, I highlighted Antoinette Colley. And uh, I really had a chance to meet a former MCC student. And with that, I just absolutely, I mean, and this is, this is the thing, like you say, walking into the classroom. Students don't realize how they affect us too, right? And so, and the reason that I wanted her uh, to be part of my welcome was because I'm new here, but she isn't. And she epitomized every area on this campus, the enrollment services. I talk about enrollment services because we spend a lot of time in the classroom. Students are in the classroom for four and a half months or so, anywhere from five weeks to four and a half months, depending on the semester. And sometimes longer than that, depending on the type of program they're in. So they spend a lot of time in front of faculty. Uh, those who get missed, veterans, the veterans office gets missed. The, the, the enrollment, the advisors, the counselors, uh, the folks who help you through your application, they get missed. Because once you get through that process, you, you, you're like, yay, yippee, I'm, and you move on. And as you're supposed to, uh, but then it is incumbent upon the rest of us to thank those folks because we wouldn't have students without them. Right. They wouldn't make it to the classroom. They wouldn't make it to the bookstore. Uh, they wouldn't make it to financial aid. So they have to come through the front door, whatever that front door is. If that front door is online, if that front door is a physical front door where they walk on campus and come, they've got to get through whatever our front door is. So we need to applaud that. So what I saw, because I've taken a few trips uh, to different areas, and what I saw when I walked in there was a lot of love, a lot of love, a lot of caring. If I saw someone who was struggling, I'd, you know, of course, it's the president, right? Some of them know me, some of them don't. You know, I'm still like, 
people incognito. Uh, yeah, well, a student walked up to me yesterday and he was like, "Well, what's this? Like, well, what's going on?" And, and and I got up because I was trying to like eat a quick, grab a quick bite, you know, uh, of the food that they had at the Native American uh, event yesterday. And so he just walked up to me. And if a student walks up to me, I generally will stand up because I'm thinking, I'm thinking, right? They recognize me and they want to talk to me for a second, right? And so he was like, no, I don't want to talk to you. I just want to know what's going on in here. <laughs> so I think, it's, I think it's funny because it keeps you humble, right? Yeah. People still don't know who you are. And so I just walked away and shook my head. But, uh, but I always get a little giggle about that. But I, I really believe that we have excellent programs here. I, I am, and, and, and I work closely, again, with the workforce development programs, and I have a strong workforce development background because I believe that no one comes here and not wanting a job, right? No one, whether it's I work for myself or whether I work for a company, whether I create something, whatever, you're coming here regardless of your major, regardless of your intention. You're, you are coming here so that you can take care of yourself, take care of your family, take care of your community, and you want to get a skill to do that. So, um, again, it's so important that we uh, look at our workforce development programs, look at our partnerships uh, and the strength of them in the community, and uh, that MCC continues to be the force uh, that it has been in the past and continue, will continue to be in the future under my leadership. So uh, that the, it, the willingness here, I see a lot of willingness on this campus to continue to be great, and and I truly appreciate that. Uh, thank you. I think some some of that is getting into our a part of our second question or third mm-hmm. question, um, but I want to touch on the art part for a second because, you know, I tell my students all the time in five hundred years, you know, the anthropologists whether they're uh, cultural or physical anthropology they don't dig up the accountants they dig up the artists they dig up the artists to find out they tell the story right they tell the stories yeah (laughs) what was going on with these shopping malls you know so i and i think art expression creativity you know is the highest form of intelligence in my dad's tribe and in our language they say you know the uh violence the lowest form of your intelligence Mm. you know so yeah let's make this let's art this place up (laughs) i know we have a project somewhere we used to do with the murals that are around Mm -hmm. campuses but you know you touched on a little bit of our our next question here i've always thought it to be personal responsibility to show up you know Mm -hmm. um but uh, one of the questions one of our folks wanted is is there any sort of strategy to start to bring employees together in terms of around morale and, mm-hmm. and make sure people have the energy they need to mm-hmm. meet the, the leadership goals that you'd like to see. Right. So that, that's a major issue that, that I've been, uh, that mm-hmm. I've also uncovered. Um, and, and just folks just telling me that a lot of it too may have, may have been there before the pandemic. It, it may have been there uh, already. Uh, but I think the pandemic, exacerbated many things and it it disrupted many many systems and some of that's really good because uh, we can't get to better Uh, we can't get to um, healing we can't get to a better work environment unless we call it out whatever it is we have to we have to talk about what it is and whether that's presence and acknowledgement uh, one of the things that uh, when I did my welcome message, I, my theme was connectedness, you know, and, and I was like, people are like, what's that? You know, and I was like, well, you know, we've been disconnected. And now it's time for all of us to leave with grace, humility, love and forgiveness. And part of what that what I'm saying that that means is uh, everyone experienced the last couple of years differently. Some people didn't lose anyone. Some people lost a lot of people. Entire families were lost. Uh, there was a period during the pandemic where I was, I swear I was losing a person a month. It's like every month it was somebody else. And that does take its toll on you. And so it takes a toll on your morale, your mental health. It takes its toll. And so as we return, uh, we still have to lead with grace. 
we, we do. We have to still continue to give people grace. We have work to do. Uh, we have a lot of work to do as an institution. Uh, but again, we have over 2,000 employees here uh, at Mesa between our three sites and two campuses. And it's important for me as the president to recognize the human nature of people. And sometimes simply showing up and saying hello and listening to people's stories helps morale. One of the, th- one of the things that, that was, I was told when I left my previous institution was that I made people feel seen when for years they hadn't felt seen. And I don't, I, and I, I'm a true believer in the ecosystem of our institution, but the ecosystem must be fed, it must be watered, it must be cared for. It cannot be something that you just, you know, because people get a paycheck, it's going to happen. People have to feel a part of something, and hence my theme of connectedness. I need to feel connected to something. Students will stay with us. Why? Because they feel connected to Mesa. Our employees will stay. Why? Because they feel connected to this place. They, they checked on me when I was sick. They got me lunch when I forgot my lunch at home and I didn't have enough money. I mean, that happens to all of us. That can happen to any one of us, president included. Well, oh, my God, I left my wallet. Oh, my God, I, I'm starving. You know, I only have you know, $5 and I forgot, you know, whatever. I mean, it can happen to any of us. It can happen to the most vulnerable, but no one is excluded from needing help and needing care and needing someone to just say, hey, how, how are you today? I mean, and it, it's not perfunctory for me. It, it really isn't. It, I really do want to know I'm in a new role, but at the same time, I want to know who the people are uh, here at the institution. And I think that helps morale. Because I can't speak to any person who served in, as a president, president before me, which is why my welcome message, I, I, I said I, you know, I had to apologize for the hurt that people have experienced because when you're not listened to uh, and you have pain, it, it, it decreases your morale. You work, but you don't work at that same speed that you used to. You don't do it as quickly as you did before because you don't feel valued. So uh, when we talk about retention and we talk about morale, uh, you can't, I don't think we can move forward if I did not address it. I, I really believe that folks would continue to want to either leave the industry, leave the college, leave the, leave the district, uh, because uh, they're just human beings and human beings need to feel as though they're valued. And so... So thank you, because I could go on on yeah. that one, you know, because yeah. that, that's a big one for me. That's a big one for me. Well, I, I think it is important, and your level of insight, I think, is, uh, you know, really going to be beneficial to the community as a whole in this area. You know, I, I see it, too, sometimes as, you know, if you look, if you look at the system, mm-hmm. so we podcast with the chancellor on Monday or Tuesday on the four disciplines of execution he's that he's going and I told him you know I read the book I found the word academic in the book twice that the model is designed for a private sector to increase revenue so what are our revenue markers you know and I listed them out you know tuition taxes private funding you know how do we you know going to measure our revenue increases if we use this private corporate model of governance and we had a really good discussion about that um, but in terms of, you know, what you're, what you're talking about, there's the human factor. I mean, in me as a human being, is what we say. And, you know, there's that factor that is, it's just decency should be just a part of who we are. But the, I, I think when we're 48th in funding and education in, in, the, in the United States, and I think Sometimes I, I, having built a program over many, many years, you know, sometimes I think about it as like a body. If we looked at the system as a body instead of said body instead of system, it's almost like we have issues of poverty. You know, we have amazing, talented, gifted, high energy people but we don't always have the resources to make 
what they're wanting to do work, or we have to cut back over here. And I think those are the morale issues I think that people struggle with that go, mm-hmm. and we don't talk about it in a way. And I hope that the, the governing board, when I, when I say I want our president to be successful or whoever, when Dr. Gonzalez was thinking about taking the chancellor position, the question was, uh, you know, I'll do it, but you have to give me the tools I need to be successful. And I think as you go through the chain, the same way with a teacher, you know, we just need the resources we need to be successful. If we're going to modernize and create new curriculum and deliver that curriculum in a way that is, is makes sense for people that need a job now, uh, you know, the skill sets that they need, the technology part, the, the creativity part. And so all of those things are coming together. And at the end of the day, do we have enough resources, you know, the dollars mm-hmm. and how dollar converts into hours and all that. And I think that's the part I hope in the next five years we correct in this estate as a whole, you know, is to give our, give our community colleges the resources they need to be competitive, yeah. be successful. So are there any kind of new perspectives how you want to engage in our community? I think it was my first week or maybe early part of my second week. And I, I continue to mention Deanna Villanueva. Uh, because I think she's a, a gem in in the uh, institution, in the district. And she just put me in the car. I mean, I, I had all these tours, right? You know, all these tours. And I really try to get through them. But I stop and talk to people. And they have six sites. I get to two. And, you know, but we're going to keep going. So one day, went into the community with Deanna. And it was about an hour and a half. It was about 90 minutes or so. And she drove, she drove me. She drove my chief of staff, Juan Diarte around and and it was really important what was important what was also quite shocking was how close poverty is to the campus when you speak of poverty as you did before and they have about a 91 percent student lunch with a free lunch program is instituted to about 91 percent of the students so that tells you that tells a big story right there The, the part that is most debilitating for me was the fact that even with their poverty, they didn't see MCC as their campus, as the place for them. That hurts. It really, it, it hurt in a really deep, deep place. So I went into several sites, and one site in particular that I always talk about is the We Can organization, and it's run by New Leaf. One floor of it has rental assistance, utility assistance, immunizations, you know, anything that you need to get help, like with your living situation. There's a few people there. I wonder how many people know about it, but they're there. The second floor was a um, classroom with uh, a beautiful kitchen, supplies, a business clothes closet. So if you didn't have a skirt or a jacket or pants or shoes, uh, mascara, uh, feminine products, socks, they had it for you. And it was beautifully presented, presented in a way that there's no shame attached to to the need, right? They had a kitchen where you could come in and get snacks and sit down. Uh, if you didn't have Wi-Fi at home, they had computer stations and you could sit down and do your homework and tall tables, short tables, hotel stations. It was just really a beautiful space. They had literacy, uh, financial literacy. If you, if you needed assistance there, and who doesn't need assistance there uh, continually throughout life? Who doesn't need it? So in engaging with that system, I didn't see our name on the board. I didn't see Mesa. I didn't see Maricopa on the sign. And they are about three miles from, less than five miles, I'll say, from our camp. And so when I talk about what, in, what activities that I want to engage in, I really want to engage, and when I talk about the ecosystem, and the ecosystem includes our community. It includes employers. It includes our nonprofits. It includes places where our people will actually go and feel safe, right? If the students and the community will feel safe at their Boys and Girls Club, then we, that's where we need to be. If they feel safe at New Leaf and at We Can, 
or we Mesa, I, I know I'm getting the name wrong, but they know who I'm talking about, then that's where we need to be. Everyone doesn't want to go to school as long as I did. I have a lot. I have four degrees. And folks, my brothers, I have six brothers, and they used to laugh at me all the time. You know, <laughs> you're always going to be in school, Tammy. You're just always going to. I mean, literally, you know, in many of our households, when you come from a certain backgrounds where education really isn't taught, taught it. I mean, my, my mom went to the ninth grade and then went and dropped out of the ninth grade and then went back and got her GED at 30. She was really big on education because for her, who, who would she have been if she had been allowed to go to college at, at 19, as opposed to going back in her thirties and forties, who would she, what would she have done differently? Uh, what choices would she have made differently? And so she mirrors, you know, our lives mirror a lot in our community. So when we see our uh, nonprofit partners and our employers, they need to be part of the Mesa Community College ecosystem where all of it's part of the college. The physical campus is just one site. We have many sites. We have satellite sites throughout the city. So you always feel connected to us in some way. So those are some of the things that I'd like to really uh, engage in in my time here. Again, I've been here only a, a 10 weeks, and I feel I'm making a lot of headway. It would be interesting to see what it looks like in two years uh, because community engagement to me is extremely important, and uh, it is the only way we survive going forward to me. Thank you. Yeah, I, I agree. I never. I love that word balance, of course. And I never really did understand these choices we were making when we would hire a president or a vice president, an inward president or outward president. It's like, I think you're supposed to have both. Find that, strike that nice balance. And again, have the people around you. There's so much talent around you. You know, uh, when I first read Kennedy's book, Profile Encourages, the, one of the lines that stuck out to me is where he said, you know, if I'm going to be a successful president, the only or the only way I'm going to be a successful president is to make everyone around me successful. And then I become a successful president. But I love this knowing our community. Uh, anything around like mental health literacy mm -hmm. that you've uh, engaged in mm -hmm. or any plans around that? Well, you know, I haven't started a campaign on that yet. I will get to that. However, uh, I appreciate more funding around mental health. I appreciate us talking and even making it a question because I used to say all the time, and I don't want anybody to get mad at me, but I used to say it's easier to be cut or have a broken arm, right, than it is to have a mental health issue. Yeah. Because if I'm cut, you see the blood, you attend to it, like, oh, my God, this person is bleeding. If it's broken, I don't know if you've seen a broken arm. My daughter broke her arm at seven. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but when you see it, you know it's a broken arm. I mean, whoa. So you attend to it, right? You rushed her to emergency. We got it reset, and boom, she's okay in her little cute pink cast at the time. But when you have mental health issues, you can't see them, right? You can't see the manifestation of it until somebody does an act that, that's outside of our behavior scope, right? And so um, it is so important that we uh, take care of mental health issues long before they become something that is a behavioral problem. Uh, and a part of that is sleeping, right? Just like I didn't realize, because I used to operate on about three hours of sleep for years because that's all I needed. I'd grade papers late. I would, when I was a professor, I would get up at 3.42 in the morning. I'd be at the gym at 4.15. I'd work out from 4.15 to about 6, 5.45, 6. Uh, get dressed, get my, get my girl to school, me to school, and the day is started. But it started at like 3.40. And that was normal for me uh, until I got physically sick. And then I had to redirect. And so we need to take mental health seriously. And, uh, you know, we need to incorporate times, you know, for people to meditate and have spaces for them to do so freely and safely. And, uh, and again, this is something that 
as a campus, we we must support as a community. We must support uh, because it it is it is an issue for all of us. It's not just some of us. We all have a bad day. We all are anxious. We are tired, sometimes exhausted, fearful. Someone in your family is ill. I mean, we're all going through mental health issues on a daily basis. It's how it is viewed and looked at, and it's how, it, how we care for each other. So it really is important that we take it very seriously. Yeah, I, I agree. Very, 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 very important area. The New Media Lab is currently working with Maricopa Disability, uh, interviewing people that are speaking about their uh, mental health issues and how they cope and, and how well we've actually done supporting them. Um, when you come in as a new president, you have to look at the structure that you know your previous president has created. Mm-hmm. How delicate in, or important is that to understand the previous structure and the transition of making it your own? Uh, we saw yesterday throughout the internet that you had set out a new structure to your cabinet. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about your thinking around, you know, People have been operating in this one structure mm-hmm. and now you're here and you want to put your stamp and signature on mm-hmm. it, something new and fresh. What is your process of that? Thank you. Thank you for that. And it's timely being that the, uh, the email came out yeah. last night, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, part of what I stated in the, in the letter that was published yesterday was that the structure was confusing to me. Um, and in my first couple of weeks, I was, I'd start my day at about 7, 7.30 on campus. And I was in meetings from 7.30, 8 o'clock until 5.30, 6 o'clock. And, I, and it was the same people. So I was really trying to figure out what was different when I, talked, when I sat over here, what was different than when we met over here, and what was different, right? And then I saw that, again, it was many of the same people in the same committee. So... I just started looking at things like, say, for instance, cabinet. I was like, so why is cabinet structured like this? And, you know, I had uh, two faculty reps, but I didn't have any other reps. So I didn't understand it. So part of it is I'm bringing forth, you know, I I have almost 30 years of community college experience. I've been doing this work for a really long time. And what I saw... Without, you know, I did, you know, just talk to the team a little bit about it. What I talked to them about was all of this duplicative work and how exhausting duplicative work is. And once we meet like all day, how and when do we have time for one to process what we've talked about doing? When does that happen? And when does the work actually happen? Because it just seems like we're meeting all day. And I don't think it's a bad thing to meet. It is important for us to have touch points. It's important for us to hold ourselves accountable. But we also have to be sure that every meeting, every time we meet, it is meaningful and is purposeful. And we know the why. Um, So in putting the new structure together, I really wanted to have representation so that when we start any new campaign and and as you know we have the bachelor's degree work coming upon us can we say it together like in one space and then folks can go off into their groups do the work come back and report it back in one space is you know is that something that makes sense i again i'm not afraid to mess up i'm not afraid to tweak it but it was, so, it's, it was so much duplication that I didn't understand it. And it was like we were exhausted for no reason. So uh, incorporating the new structure to me put people in the space who weren't in the space before, uh, like philanthropy. I wanted philanthropy in the space. Why? Because if they're out talking, if that group, Christos, is out talking to AT&T and talking to the mayor, why can't he hear it firsthand so that he can understand why we're going in the direction we're going in, right? We're asking for, we have about $200,000 towards our promised students for next year. And a lot of that is because 
Christos worked with the mayor and worked with our um, community partners and raised the money. You know, again, it happened. But let's see what happens when we do uh, have a little bit more synergy uh, with our work and not so, you know, we're still going to have a lot of meetings. It's impossible not to have a lot of meetings. It's impossible, especially at college's size. It's impossible. But again, can we move away from them being duplicative? That's, yeah, that's great. I think the former president said that the same, sort of the same thing. He would have a meeting with this delegation or this group and then a, a scheduled meeting with a, the, another group and he would get up and the same people would just get up from one room and walk into the other room. It was the same people. Could you talk to us a little bit about the distinction between being an administrator mm-hmm. and being a leader and how those cross? Well, they're very distinct. They're distinctly different, right? It's, when we're talking about your campus administration, you really are talking about people and their titles. And that's a way for all of us to understand, like we have a president, we have vice presidents, we have directors, we have managers, we have, you know, again, those are distinct uh, titles that we carry. And it's so you can be accredited. It's so that you can be a college. There are many, many functions to the titles, right? But when you, uh, I think we make a mistake by saying, putting them together, right? Because because you would assume that if you're an administrator, you are a leader. You make the assumption that you must be the president, so you must be a great leader. But we know a lot of folks aren't great leaders. I mean, I'm just saying, a lot of people have the title, but they're not great leaders. Right. A campus or any campus, especially a campus the size of Mesa. Uh, again, in my welcome speech, I brought Antoinette Colley in for multiple reasons. And, and one of those reasons was to showcase excellence to showcase black girl excellence, you know, uh, as we call it in the black community, because uh, someone from her trajectory is just, she's not supposed to be working in Berlin as a resident artist. It's just not something that they wake up thinking about, right? Uh, And they see it. So she created a whole new reality for herself. I wanted her to tell her story because, and I wanted the entire campus to hear it, because no one person contributed to her success. The president didn't contribute to her success. The vice presidents didn't contribute to her success. Not one professor, not one major, not one person in the enrollment center contributed to her success. And I say that because we have thousands of students on our campuses and each and every day that they walk up and just like the student said to me, what's going on in there? You know, um, one day he'll, he'll see something and say, oh, my God, I was talking to the president and I didn't, I didn't even know it, right? One day he'll say that. Uh, and one day he might see, might see me on campus and say, um, can you help me, right? Can you help me? I think leadership, we have to really open that term up because we call it campus leadership, but campus leadership of what? We have to finish the sentence. What are you a campus leadership of? Because when we have a, a, a leak, we call our leadership team in the MNO, right? I met Mr. Smith yesterday, who had been here for 43 years. Shout out to him. Uh, when, we, uh, when something is going on in the classroom, student can't get a class, we're calling Lucy uh, over in enrollment. We're calling Warren in the enrollment center. You know, when somebody needs something, some tests, we're calling Conrad over in the testing center. You know, can you help them through this orientation or this work? Everyone here has the potential to be a leader, and they probably are. Every position is not student-facing, though. But if you're walking from your car to the building, and that's the president and everybody else, and the student says, do you work here? They're not going to ask you what your title is, and you're not going to say, well, I'm the president, so you know, I don't really show students around. <laughs> that's not what I do. Nobody's going to say that. At least I hope they won't. Please, God, don't. But I think that we take leadership roles for granted and what that looks like. Getting to know students, helping them is, you said it earlier, is basic human decency. So let's not lose our basic human decency. And, you know, again, leading with our humanity is so very important. When we think about policies, the reason that, again, I'm going to go back to the earlier question about the reason that uh, 
that I changed the structure. Part of that is because the academic calendar is, if you haven't planned it out, it's hard to get things done. And people don't realize how fast it moves, right? Once August hits, it's, it moves. And so I say that because when we make a decision to do something, I need the players, I need the leaders in the room so that they can, to the best of our ability, we can decipher impact of the decision. If we do this, what's going to happen? I don't need everyone saying, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. I, need, I need people to say, it might work, however. We need to think about this. I don't know. You know, we did try that 10 years ago, and what happened? You know? And so I think what we've lost in leadership over the past several years is the ability to be disruptive with each other, respectful. This, the ability to dissent respectfully. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah. We need to be able to disagree that's, respectfully. That's it's not negative that I don't agree with you. Right. I don't agree with you. Right. I, don't, I have over 30 years of experience. I'm coming into the room with this, this, and that background. I understand this community that we say we want to reach out to. I'm telling you that's not going to work. So why not listen to that one person before we put money, right. time, effort, and all we had to do was listen to this person and say, well, what would work? And sometimes it's a simple tweet. Right. You know, have the student look up instead of look down. How about that? You know, in the ad. Uh, so, so when we talk about what leadership is, I think we have to lead from where we are. We have to own it. We own decisions. But we also have to give people agency to make decisions. When we talked to earlier about morale, that's another thing that I heard a lot. It's like, it's hard for people to make decisions. And so I started making decisions and it was like novel. I said, why is that a big deal that I said we're going to do this? You know, so again, I'm just leading from who I am. This is who I am. And I feel as though uh, not only do we need to do things, but we need to uh, be impactful in what we do so that if it, if it turns out great, great. If, but if it turns out, that it's okay, but it needs to be tweaked. Let's talk about what the changes need to be. So leadership and administration don't necessarily mean the same thing. Well, I cannot agree more. And I think this leads into the, our final segment here around the four-year degree and the four-year culture that we're going to need to support a four-year degree. And I think that the four-year degree may open up opportunity because of the faculty, the new faculty and the environment that we're going to have to create around a four-year degree as opposed to a two-year transfer degree or occupation. So I'm real excited about the four-year degree stuff. I'm just, I, I can't wait to, you know, for that culture to start happening. What do we, you want to know what I think about it? I want to know what you think about it. Okay. You know, I was very fortunate to get my degrees, and uh, and all my degrees are in California. You mentioned earlier that I'm both a Bruin and a Trojan, so I call myself a Brosian. <laughs> made up word that I made because I because my undergrad is at UCLA, and my doctoral work is at at uh, University of Southern California. So I I can't call myself. I have to call myself at the BR has to. The Bruin has to come first, right? right? <laughs> so, uh, so having gotten those degrees and having uh, student loan debt, and uh, but also uh, getting financial aid and uh, also utilizing uh, the GI Bill uh, because my father was served in the Air Force, uh, all of those things helped me get through college. When I went through UCLA, UCLA was under $500 a quarter under five, right? Uh, when I got my doctorate at USC, um, I finished that in 03, 04, so it's been about 20 years. Um, it was 857 a unit, which was a lot of money. You're almost talking $900 a unit, right? But that was a, that's a bargain compared to what students are paying now. So when we talk about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, 
the high cost of getting a college education makes it so that it becomes exclusionary. It's not inclusive anymore. It's very exclusionary. You have to either be really, really poor to go or really, really rich. But the folks in the middle are getting squeezed out. And they're getting squeezed out to a point where they just have to take on these astronomical student loans. And so to get through, to become the doctor they wanted to be and become the attorney they wanted to be and all of these wonderful things that people go to school to become, such as myself. So having it at the at the two-year institution, it's already a, a reality in California where initially there were 15 colleges that had the bachelor's degrees. And what we found was that the bachelor's degree could be earned uh, completely. Uh, it was about, it was under $5,000, something like that. It was, and I always say under 10 because, you know, there's always fees and driving and the true cost of education. Right. But when you're talking about, say, under 10 grand, you can get a bachelor's degree that is from an accredited institution when it would cost you forty to 60000 to attend, say, a UC or a private institution would cost you sixty. That's cost prohibitive for so many students who deserve to go to college if they want to. And so having, uh, having a four-year degree at the two-year institution is about as a big it's about it's about as big an equity move as we can make the next step of course is to be sure that students get out on time that they get the classes they need that they have appropriate faculty all of those things are taken care of as we're going through the um, the accreditation cycle uh, in the next month so those things have to be in place but we also want to be sure that we're publicizing that this is even available. So it's a culture shift, right? It's a culture shift when we're living in the land of the NAUs, the ASUs, and the, the, the large four-year institutions where folks grow up saying, that's where I'm going to college. I'm going to a four-year. And, and it's always been difficult for community colleges to even get folks to want to complete an associate's degree. And now we're saying, culturally, we're making a shift saying, but you can get your four-year degree here as well. So one of the things that we have to, uh, to be in, ensure that we do is make sure that it's easy to get through the process. And so we're going to have to have forgiveness here because it's our first time. So those that come through, they'll have to hold our hand. We'll have to hold each other's hands. They're going to hold our hand. We're going to hold their hand. We want them to be patient with us. We need patience and, you know, and some grace and humility. But it will prove to be one of the, probably the, one of the most revolutionary moves that we've made in a very long time. Yeah. Because it will, again, it's about educational access. And to have this opportunity and access, which so many do not have, uh, it will be absolutely incredible. So it is a wonderful thing uh, for us to do this. We just want to do the best job possible. We want students to come. And to uh, and to participate in this process, and uh, but again, it is an equitizer of uh, of for for education, which is so very important, especially during these times. Yeah, I I'm so excited for this to happen for yeah, all the reasons really that excited. you just mentioned. I growing up on the in the city parks and playgrounds in, mm -hmm. in Los Angeles, one of my favorite sayings I remember hearing in flag football was um, a John Wooden who mm. said, you're either preparing for success or you're preparing for failure. Mm -hmm. And I've always, always loved that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I played football in Southgate. I caught the winning touchdown pass mm. uh, when I was in the ninth grade. Oh, I, uh, in I, played it, I played adult flag football. You did? <laughs> oh, yeah. Mixed flag, co-ed. You're a, you a running football. back or a linebacker? I would, um, a woman had to run... Uh, every third play, a woman had to run it, kick it, or throw it. So I had a nickname at that time, and my nickname was Mini Rice. All right. So <laughs> I could run it, kick it, or throw it. <laughs> I had a great time. I did that for a couple of years. It was fun. Well, I wish we never – I miss our football teams. I mean, football taught me everything I know about life. Like I said, I caught the uh, winning touchdown in Watts, California. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Hey, oh. See how you never forget those things? Oh. You never forget those moments. Well, 
the problem was when I was in the eighth grade, I was exactly the same height as I am now. And then I just stopped growing. <laughs> oh, man. So they, I was like. They thought you were going to the NFL. Oh, oh you going. <clears throat> oh, you going, man. Yeah, this you guy's going. going and, uh, you, you're good height, though. Come yeah, on. But yeah. in the eighth grade, you were huge. Yeah, in eighth grade, I was already 5'10". <laughs> oh, wow. You five, were huge. That was huge. And, uh, yeah, I just never. never you stopped, uh, though. Just stopped. That was, that was it. <laughs> but uh, I just, <clears throat> I love, uh, you know, I think. Uh, you know, the access into great programs and great people. But, uh, you know, when you take people's money, uh, you, you need to be prepared. You know? That's right. So I, I know you all got, got this. I, I just, I'm excited for the culture. Absolutely. Four year yeah, the culture I, shift. I, I want to have colleagues that I, I'm a reader. Mm-hmm. I read lots of books. I, I, I'm a global learner. I love to engage with people on that level, mm-hmm. you know? And so I'm really, I hope that that's what happens is we create this excitement around the four-year degree um, that brings in a bit of that environment. Absolutely. Because, you know, when you talked about earlier, you know, folks, like I remember because of my brothers and the neighborhood we grew up in and stuff, I used to read books and hide them because mm-hmm. I didn't want, I didn't think, you know, that, you know, I'm a linebacker. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to, you know. I'm well, I mean, that's the problem. Guy. Yeah. When you really liked school, but it wasn't, but, you know, uh, in non-Westernized cultures, you have to kind of hide that because you have to fit in. And uh, and that and that's the misnomer. You'll make an A on a test and your friends will say, well, what did you make? Oh, I made a C. So, because you don't want to call attention. To that's right. And very different and from our right. Westernized brothers and sisters who very much compete with each other. And so, yeah, so I did some research on that when I was working on my doctorate and uh, many of our students are not, uh, you know, our our minoritized students uh, practice non-Westernized culture traits, even though they've lived here for generations. Competition is not something that we revel in, in especially African-American homes. It's like, you know, what do you, you think you're better than us? I mean, you know, again, I got that, you know. I'm a lot older than our students, but I got that, you know. And so you learn how to blend in a little bit when you're home. And so students who actually do well in uh, non-white homes and non-Asian homes are those that can code switch. And I know you, you, Henry Louis Gates talks about that. Uh, you're able to shapeshift in a way. Like I can t- speak in one way when I'm in this space. I speak in another way in, that, in a different space depending on my audience. And I do it seamlessly, right? I do it seamlessly. So those students who are able to live in all cultures quickly tend to do better statistically. Some folks don't switch as easily. They switch. They have to, right? You have to live in society. Uh, but it's kind of, it's, when you think about it, it's kind of sad. But, yeah. <laughs> but, it's, it's, but it's real. But it's real. And so let's, let's talk about what's real. Yeah. We always give our guests the last word. What you like to say to everybody? <laughs> Maricopa family. All right. Well, I just want to say thank you, Eddie Webb. Thank you, Keegan. You always take such good care of me when I come. I want to thank everyone for the warm welcome that I'm getting. Uh, again, it's, this is the end of week 10. I'll stop counting soon. But it's still. I still want to uh, remember. And like you said, I'm counting because I still want to remember what it was like at week 10 what it was like at week 11 because when it's when it's year four and year five you're not counting weeks anymore right now you're 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 in the seat so there's still a level of newness to the role and uh, and I'm still learning and I want to thank everyone uh, who assists me I have an excellent mentor the president of Chandler Gilbert uh, Dr. Greg Peterson he is a, an excellent mentor. He's there when I, uh, when I call on him. The other presidents, Eric is just great. Whenever I call him, he picks up. The chancellor is, I had never experienced the level of humanity that I'd gotten from him. And I don't think I told him that. But, uh, you know, he would call and check on me like a few weeks before I came. I hope you're doing okay. And then when I started, I hope you're doing okay. That, that's simple, right? And basic, right? You, but it doesn't happen. So it's so funny when we do the most, the kind of kind human things, how like amazing it is now because we have all this technology and all these ways to connect, but yet we don't use them, right? 
So I, I, I really want to appreciate our chancellor, uh, Dr. Gonzalez, uh, for making me feel welcomed, giving me the level of agency and things that I need. I want to thank our board of governors. Uh, we had an event last week that I don't know that we all can wrap our brains around how amazing it was because I was only here nine weeks then. So I met with the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo, had a chance to talk to her. And that's amazing. You know, your ninth weekend. She was like, I thought you were here nine years. I said, no, I just got here nine weeks. She says, this is amazing for you. I said, yes, it is. I had a chance to meet Wendell Weeks, the CEO of Corning, and John Stanky, the CEO of AT&T, and talk about the great opportunities that are coming to Arizona and how Mesa Community College and Chandler Gilbert will be at the forefront of the training for these programs. Uh, fiber optic program that we will be bringing to the institution is on track to have 850,000 jobs throughout the United States. So we're talking about changing people's lives. So when I talk about the ecosystem and what I want to do is ensure that the residents of Mesa, residents of Maricopa uh, are trained to, to take on this new challenge and, these, and get these new skills. And so uh, that, that is so important. And again, it's important that we get that word out to the community. So I am so happy to be in this role. It did not come easily. It did not come without many, many years of, of learning and adversity. And it, I have a long journey. But when you finally get to one of your major goals, one of my major goals is to become a college president, uh, it's important that I do something in the seat, not just have the title, as we were talking about earlier. The title is the title, but what do you do with it? When you're in a position of power and influence, as one of my mentors said, what are you going to do with that role? So it's really important that I continue to live uh, in this space to not, it's not about me, it's not about Tammy Robinson. It's, re it's really about how I use the role to help the community, help others. And, expo and, and I do a lot of, expo I like to go around to a lot of the different schools and I talk to the, the women's basketball team and I introduce myself to them around my first or second week and they didn't know who I was. And when I said I was a president, I don't think they really knew what that was. But I saw some of them yesterday and they were like, you know, they came up to me and they and, and they were so excited because because if you don't see something or see someone in a space, you can't dream of yourself in it. You can't dream of yourself as an astronaut because you don't know any. You can't dream of yourself as an engineer. You never what kind of engineer? You don't even know there are different types of engineers. And so when you talk about a college president, how can I say I want to be that when I've never even met one? So, uh, so, so all of these things become so important in this role and encapsulated in it. And so if I think about the enormity of the work I have to do, I, I wouldn't get out of bed. <laughs> I was just like, I can't do that. That's not me. Who is that? Um, but I'm honored to serve and I'm equipped to serve. I've done the work. And, and I think more than anything is I'm honored and I really, really love this work. And I, I hope I exude that to everyone. So thank you so much for this opportunity. In my dad's language, they say, Hawa, Hawa, Wata, Wata, Donadagoha, E, Unokana, E, Ayaski, Galiaki, Liga. We're really grateful to see you here today. And we'll see you again. And remember, you guys take care of each other because we are all we have. Royalty-free audio, Grinoline Dreams, by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can find more of his work at incompetech.com. The Maricopa County Community College District, MCCCD, is an EEO-AA institution and an equal opportunity employer of protected veterans and individuals with disabilities. All qualified applicants will receive consideration for employment without regard to race, color, religion, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, age, or national origin. 
A lack of English language skills will not be a barrier to admission and participation in the career and technical education programs of the district. The Maricopa County Community College District does not discriminate on the basis of race, color, national origin, sex, disability, or age in its programs or activities. For Title IX 504 concerns, call the following number to reach the appointed coordinator, 480-731-8499. For additional information, as well as the listing of all coordinators within the Maricopa College System, please visit maricopa.edu slash non-discrimination.